Everyone, welcome to the Uke Stuff channel and Uke Stuff podcast. Today I have as a guest someone whose work I have followed for quite a while and uh, has really influenced me as a teacher. And that is Rodney Higuchi or Uncle Rod Higuchi, who is probably best well known for the ukulele boot camp. So I'm going to bring Rodney up here into our two screen format. Uh, for those of you that are watching or for those of you that are listening to this video on an audio recording, we are going to share his website a little bit later today too. So again, this is another uh, podcast that is probably best watched later. So uh, Rodney, talk about yourself, your life, how you came to ukulele and what you're doing with the ukulele. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I, uh, I grew up in the, uh, territory of Hawaii back in 1948 and um, I don't know if I was musical at all but um, by the time I got to sixth grade at the Ali'iolani Elementary School my teacher Mrs. Wong wanted to teach all of the class uh, how to play the ukulele and sing because I think she wanted us to eventually go to different classrooms and provide some entertainment for the other students. She had recently uh, returned with her husband from a trip around the world. I think it was the previous summer, and this would have been the summer of 1959. And uh, so she had some songs from all over the world that she wanted to teach us. So at that time, uh, because it was a requirement for the class, I asked my grandmother to help me you know, get an ukulele. I did not have one at the time. And so she took me to Long's Drugs at the uh, Ala Moana Shopping Center. And I found uh, an orange. It was very light wood, almost like balsa. Um, uh, uh, made in Japan, ukulele for $7. <laughs> so we got that. And somehow to me, it felt maybe, as I look back, it felt like it might have been uh, uh, slightly larger than a standard uh, soprano ukulele, but you know I didn't know the difference back then. It had wooden pegs, so tuning it was quite a challenge. So armed with that, I went to school and uh, sat under the instruction of Mrs. Wong, and the whole class learned how to play and strum the ukulele. After I remember after my first lesson, um, one of our neighbors up the street uh, was in my class. And so I went, I, I had written things down on a piece of paper, my notebook, and I went up to her and said, I asked her if she could uh, help me go over some of the, the fingering for the chords, because I knew that she knew how to play the ukulele and I didn't. So she helped me with chords like G7 and B flat, you know, some of the more difficult ones at that time. And uh, I think I only saw her that once. Uh, I mean, I only re referred to that, but then I, I, I guess I must have practiced. I, I somehow, do I remember enjoy singing? I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure up until that point. So I was uh, uh, 11 or 12 or maybe, was I 13? 11, 11. Okay, because I was born in 48 and it was uh, 59. All right. So anyway, um, we, we learned throughout the year. We performed at other classes and... Uh, it was, it was fun. And I, I think at that time, I was beginning to listen to rock and roll on the radio. Now, again, this is the older rock and roll, you know, C, A minor, F, G7 progression over and over and over again. And uh, so as I was learning the ukulele, I, I, uh, I realized that I could maybe learn some of these songs so that I can replay them. But the problem, the problem is they were not recorded in C, A minor, mm -hmm. F, and, and G7. And so, uh, let's see. I remember getting a an arch-top guitar. Um, I forget, some kind of a no-name, very inexpensive guitar. And I'm not sure if, if, I, if I was trying to learn to play the guitar before I learned the ukulele or after. But anyway, one of the instruction books I got was from a, an instructor named Nick Maniloff. And within the book, or as part of the book combination, there was a circular two-page chart. And it was something like a modern accompaniment or something like that. It's still available. 
Um, and basically all it was, was it had the key, the uh, three you know major chords that were in the key, like for in the key of C, it would have been C, F, G7. And then there were little other cutouts that showed A minor and you know that kind of idea. So then I realized that uh, if I could find out the chord of the song that was playing on the radio, then I could just match. Uh, if I found out that they were playing the song in the key of F, then I would turn the dial to from C to F, and then I could figure out that the, the next three chords, F, B flat, and C7, were in the same relative um, position as uh, F, uh, C, F, and G7 in the key of C. So I was beginning to learn transposing, even though I didn't know what that was. And so that kind of got me through uh, listening to songs that I wanted to replay, uh, trying to figure out the, what the chord was. And all, all I could do was play C and then bar it and make a C sharp and you know go up the neck. At least I, I somehow I learned that uh, every fret was, uh, I, I didn't think in these terms of half steps, but I, I knew I could look at the 12 letter or the 12 um, uh, chords in a uh, in an octave, and I knew it would go up like that. So if I finally figured out the song I was playing uh, with my little finger on the seventh fret, I could figure out well what uh, you know in relation to C, what key is that? So anyway, that's how I uh, humored myself, and it became it became a hobby. And because I wanted to sing the songs, the uh, simple rock and roll songs on the radio, and so that's what kind of got me through. Uh, after uh, Mrs. Wong had taught us how to play Christmas songs and certain songs in other languages and whatnot. So is, is that all you need or did you want more information? Well, that's, that's a great start. Um, one of the questions I had for you growing up in Hawaii was I have heard that there was a time in Hawaii where ukulele wasn't being taught in the schools. Um, and, and I don't know, it sounds like it certainly was when you went through. So no, that's no, kind of it was, uh, I think our class was the only class that was learning ukulele at the time. Okay. So um, I don't remember. I, like in fifth grade, we had no music training. I remember when I went to um, Jarrett Intermediate School. It was called Intermediate School at the time for grades uh, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, there was band. I learned how to play the tonette. I went to band and, and wanted to play the saxophone. Um, there was no choir per se. So there was, uh, there was music education in the intermediate grades, uh, seven, eight, and nine, but all during my elementary school, uh, time, there was, um, no, no real music except for Mrs. Wong. And, and, uh, it was not throughout the sixth grade. It was just her class. Okay. So yeah, at that time. Um, well, let me just see. I'm almost sure I learned the tonette in intermediate school, and there was no music except for Mrs. Wong's class in elementary school. So our school really didn't didn't have a, a, a music program outside of maybe the interests of the individual teachers. Can you describe what a tonette is? Yeah, a tonette is like a um, zucchini-shaped recorder. <laughs> It's about maybe nine inches long, and uh, do they not have tonets anymore? <laughs> um, typically, typically, we don't do too much with with those. It's mm -hmm. generally just recorders now today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of figured. I see t recorders all over the place, but yeah, it was just a, a cylindrical body, but shaped like a cucumber or a zucchini, and it tapered to a, you know, like a little bell at the bottom. Um, and you know it was it was okay. <laughs> now, did you find yourself um, playing just chords and singing, or were you doing riffs and breaking off into sort of like finger style sort of things as well when you were younger and, and doing that rock music where you were figuring out the keys? Uh, no, it was it was strictly chords and singing, and actually. Um, there was kind of a musical awakening in my life after college 
because I took that uh, with me. And, and eventually I learned how to play some chords on the on the guitar. And I was active in church. So whenever there were um, uh, we go caroling during the uh, Christmas time and all of that, I would bring a nylon string slightly smaller than regular size guitar to accompany. Uh, but then when I went, oh, this is, I'll tell you the story. Uh, in 1966, I graduated from high school and I was accepted to a, a Bible school in Chicago, the Moody Bible Institute. And I was going to bring an ukulele with me. But of course, the, you know, by now the orange balsa wood ukulele was falling apart and, and I wanted something uh, nicer. So I, I, I took as much money as I had and I went to Harry's music store in Kaimuki, which is where I live. And uh, there was a conundrum. I, I heard about Martins, and Martins were supposed to be very good instruments. And I heard about Kamaka. Kamaka didn't have as good a reputation back then, but it was made in Hawaii and all that. So I was looking in the showcase, and I kept trying to play between the, the Martin and the Kamaka soprano. And then I looked at the money that I had, and the Martin was just too expensive. So I, I bought the Kamaka to take with me to Chicago. And the Kamaka cost $28. And the Martin was a whopping $35. <laughs> if I had known then what I know now, I'd buy up all the Martins they had. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, I went to, I went to Chicago with the Kamaka ukulele, and that, you know, tidied me through uh, my college years. And, uh, you know, so I was playing hymns and, and Christian choruses. Um, that, that portion of my life, it, actually, it's kind of interesting too. You know, I, I did not attend the University of Hawaii. I went directly from high school to college in Chicago. And uh, so I missed out on a lot of the folk revolution, as it were, in the uh, mid to late 60s. And that has come back to haunt me a little bit. You know, I, that's kind of a dramatic way of saying it. In the sense, in the sense that when we started playing music, for example, here in, uh, in Seattle, back in 2000, the early 2000, 2003, is when SUPA, Seattle Ukulele Players Association, was formed. And uh, every now and then, somebody would want to play a Beatles song. And because I had a relatively loud voice, I eventually became one of the song leaders. And I would have to say, can anybody else lead the song? Because I don't know it. <laughs> and everybody would be aghast. You don't know the Beatles? I said, no, I, I don't. Then how about a Dylan song? Who's, who's Dylan? You know, I, I just didn't know the... The popular uh, art, Peter, Paul, and Mary, I knew, and I could sing some of their songs. But, you know, weird names like Credence, Clearwater, Revival, The Grateful Dead. What what weird, you know, I, I, have, I have no history. And even for the most part to this day, you know, I'm the standing joke in our groups. Okay, here's another Beatles song. Better get somebody else to lead it. Uncle Rod doesn't know this one, which is still kind of true. Now, but, uh, what yeah. was it like being a Hawaiian in Chicago <laughs> and then playing the ukulele where on the mainland, well, maybe there was a still the, the remnants of the whole McAfee thing, perhaps? Maybe? Uh, ac actually, I don't know if uh, there was any other ukulele at the school besides mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like hymns and, and gospel songs, so I would, I would learn some. But for the most part, whenever uh, we students gathered together, we sang choruses and whatnot. And so I could, you know, play it on the ukulele very easily. In fact, on Sundays, we would, I would attend a church in Gary, Indiana. So we would be on a bus and to and from, you know, I'd just be playing and we'd be singing choruses on the trip and whatnot. I, uh, I don't remember seeing any other ukulele on campus. And I don't remember any other kinds of ukuleles, except possibly when I went to Montgomery Ward 
you know, when I first got there, I had to get a, a coat because it was uh, in the fall, it was starting to get cold. So I might have seen a harmony uh, guitar or ukulele or something. But, you know, I had my own. So I, I was just looking for a coat. But other than that, like Macafari, I, I didn't know what that name was. I didn't even think to go to, you know, if I got any money to go to a music store to buy to see if they had a Martin ukulele. Somehow I got the impression there really were no ukuleles in Chicago, which is not true. But, um, you know, I, I basically stayed on campus. Um, I, I love Chicago. I used to walk to, to the loop all the time. I eventually learned how to read. I mean, in the sense that all through all through high school, I, I really kind of hated reading. Uh, I remember once, uh, and this is going back to the first grade. Um, no, was it first grade? Anyway, the teacher said, you ought to get a library card and go to the library, you know, check out some books. And after a certain while, you have to go back and return them. So I told that to my mother. So she took me to the library. I got a library card. I got about a dozen books. I took them home. I never opened them. You know, after a certain couple of weeks or so, we'd get them and, and take them back. <laughs> I, I did I, I never really read. The only reading I did was what was assigned for history and English and, you know, that kind of stuff. But when I when I got to school, I had I had a class where I had to do book reports on three biographies. And um, I'll admit it, you know, I procrastinate till the night before they were due. And uh, I had these three books and I said, I'm going to I got to read them, you know. And so that was the first time I actually read a book all the way through. In fact, when I applied to the school, one of the questions was, what three books are you now reading? <laughs> so I went out and bought three books and I started reading them so I could, you know, honestly say I, I started reading these three books. I never finished them. But anyway, so I actually read through a biography. You know, it wasn't really big, maybe a couple hundred pages and you know, I, I was not a really good reader, but at the end of that, I thought, my goodness, you can learn a lot of things from books. You know, it was engaging and there was a lot of information. I I eventually fulfilled my requirement and and wrote the three um, uh, reviews of the bio, uh, biographies of these guys. Uh, I don't know what grade I got, but it it really made an impact on me. And so I started really enjoying books and of course uh, because i was in, in a in a bible school it was more non-fiction and reference oriented stuff so i would i would rummage through the bookstores in chicago looking for things that professors would recommend and say oh but they're out of print now it'll be hard to find so i was able to find some of those anyway uh so anyway going back to chicago i'll give you one one um vignette here a friend of mine from hawaii was at a an, another school in Wheaton, Illinois. You know Wheaton College. Yep. And he came by, and we had a day together, which was kind of nice. He had a Martin concert, ukulele, that I kind of drooled over. But I, you know, I was really not into makes and models of ukuleles back then. I had mine. I was okay. His sounded nice and it looked really, you know, pretty. That dark mahogany and all that. But before he left. Uh, he played Crazy G for me. And I thought, man, that's, I would like to learn how to play something like that. But then he had to get on the train and, and go back to, to Wheaton. So I asked him to play it again, and I tried to listen carefully. I was watching his fingers. And so when he left, I got out my kamaka, and uh, I tried to duplicate as much as I remember him playing. And... Uh, you know, eventually I came up with a rendition of Crazy G that reminded me of what he was playing. I had really not heard Crazy G played in the islands when I was growing up. And so I had no other reference besides what he was doing. Um, so eventually I started adding things to it that seemed to make sense to me. <laughs> and so when I when I finally recorded a video and posted it on YouTube a few years back, um, it was my rendition of Crazy G. And I, I do a, a little disclaimer and apology, and I, I tell this story like 
this is what I think I remember hearing when this friend of mine played Crazy G for me. So uh, I try to teach it to my class because I did um, I didn't tab it out, but I, I created a, 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 a like a song sheet for it because I figured um, I'm getting into my teaching now. When I teach, I wanted to teach people um, chording in at least five keys, you know, the C, F, G, A, and D, because I think if they know the basic uh, chords that go in each of those keys, they can go to any song circle. And, and as long as the songs are written in one of those keys, they can feel comfortable playing along. And, and my objective was to help my students become confident players in a song circle. Okay, uh, so beside, besides teaching those, the chords in those five keys, which make up the ukulele boot camp, uh, I, I figured they need to learn um, how to play a song that's like a chorded, chord melody, like Crazy G, because inevitably, when people see them with an ukulele, they're going to say, oh, you play an ukulele, can you play a song for us? Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people are not going to break into song, and even if it's happy birthday, they're going to be too self-conscious and all. So I said, you know, I thought, if I can teach them the rudiments of my rendition of Crazy G, then they'll have something in their back pocket and they can play the song, and then I tell them, if anybody says, can you play something else? You just say no. <laughs> That's all I know. So I wanted them to learn the chords in five keys. I wanted them to learn Crazy G, and I also um, uh, kind of tabbed out uh, Green Sleeves, What Child Is This? And so I wanted them to learn uh, Crazy G as a strumming chord melody, uh, What Child Is This? or Green Sleeves as a picking, finger picking, melody and then i i figured you know if they will learn how to do the the triple strum then that will really add to their enjoyment i think of playing the ukulele so um my objective again is to help them become confident members of a song circle with the skills of being able to uh, identify and play songs in five keys uh play crazy g uh green sleeves and learn the triple strum so they can just spice up their own uh, strumming of songs. So that's kind of what I try to do within five to eight weeks, depending on how much time I have for my classes. And uh, and of course, in the process, we go through, you know, five or six songs in the in each of the keys, in the key of C, F, G, A, or D. And then if I happen to teach during the fall, um, I print out the holiday songbook that, you know, I've been using for years and, uh, you know, going through that so that they have something for the holiday season. <laughs> so I want to, I want to back up one sec before we go and take a look at some of your resources. Um, so you're in Moody. Yes. What was your major going to be at Moody? Uh, I had a pastoral major with Greek emphasis. Okay. So you were learning Koinaya Greek. Yes. Wow. Not an easy language by any means. And then, so how, what was the next part of your life then after you graduate from Moody, where, where do you go? And at what point do you start teaching? When, when did you start teaching? Okay. So uh, Crazy G that I, I, I kind of learned or played around with uh, from my friend uh, who was from Hawaii, who was in, in Illinois also, that kind of, uh, helped me see that I could do something with the ukulele that was more than just strumming. Although Crazy G was a strumming melody. And so I started to work on like, like uh, green sleeves, you know, what child is this? And so I, I kind of learned a few chords up the neck because obviously you can't just play it on the first position song, um, chording for the most part. But then after I graduated in 69, I had an opportunity to go with a, a team to Japan for the summer. And we, you know, we kind of taught English at the English speaking societies and whatnot. And then I returned home to Hawaii thinking that I was going to, uh, Moody was not an, um, I couldn't get a degree from Moody at the time. It was three years, 66 to 69. And I was going to try to complete my degree, my bachelor's degree at the University of Hawaii. 
So I enrolled at the University of Hawaii. And it was at that time, two things happened. Number one, uh, an ukulele virtuoso, I forget their name. I don't think he became famous or anything. But he was going to be featured with the Honolulu Symphony Orchestra. And, uh, you know, he was playing Yellow Bird. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how neat. So that was kind of my introduction to the idea of the ukulele as a, a kind of virtuoso uh, instrument. Um, and I think his rendition was more picking than chord melody or strumming and all that. So I thought, my goodness, that's pretty neat. Uh, I was only at the university for for one year, uh, 69, 70. So the first thing was my eyes and ears were open to the idea that the ukulele could be a virtuoso instrument. And then I started listening to Otasan on the radio and, and other, um, you know, ukulele virtuosos. And so I started researching around and I, I would go and watch uh, Otasan at uh, various clubs and whatnot. But he always had, he had at that time, he had a marimba or xylophone player, I think a bass player. I'm not sure if he had a guitar or a drummer, but you know, he was accompanied by other musicians. But I still liked his, uh, his style because his was more or less pure picking, right? It was, it was really, it was really neat. And I bought his albums when they came out and all of this. But then I started, um, I think there was another ukulele musician, Eddie Bush, who actually appeared on the Tonight Show and he played like Holiday for Strings or something like that. And, uh, you know, so that was pretty neat. I'm not sure if I went to see him or not. I also began to appreciate Hawaiian music. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would go to uh, places where certain bands were playing so that I could hear them live and in person, as it were. So there was a lot of music for me during that, the year of 6970, the school year of 6970. Uh, so that was one of the things that happened. The second thing is uh, I met my future wife. And so we started dating and, and uh, my uncle was a fine arts major and teacher at the uh, University of Hawaii. And so I asked him, do you know, cause you know, he would, he would go around to bars and whatnot. And, and I was never interested in that. And I asked him, do you know um, any, do you, when you go around to these, you know, nightclubs and bars, do you, do you hear good ukulele players? And uh, he said, well, the head of the art department at the University of Hawaii, his name is Gordon Mark. And he plays at the captain's galley in Waikiki. You ought to listen to him. And of course, you know, I, I, I was not, I was not very broad minded. As soon as I heard what he's the chairman of the art department. I don't think so. And I, so I wouldn't go. And so for the longest time, I was doing my research, listening to different ukulele players, and they were pretty much all accompanied by other musicians. And I, I thought, you know, I, I want to, and the first guy I heard was the, the guys that was backed up by the symphony orchestra, you know, and I was thinking there must be a way to play the ukulele without having to have other musicians. Cause I knew I was, I was going to be on my own and I didn't want to have to look for a xylophone player or a bass player or a guitar player or something. And finally, about a week or two before I was going to leave Hawaii to go to Portland to attend seminary in Portland, Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, my uncle said, you really ought to go listen to Gordon Mark at the captain's galley. I think you'll like it. So finally, uh, uh, just prior to that, my mom had invited me to a year-end dinner. She worked for the uh, army, for the government, and all of this. And then they had a raffle. And she had won. At that time, cassette recorders were a new thing. And she had won a, re a cassette recorder, which was kind of neat. So when I finally decided I would go to listen to Gordon Mark at the captain's galley, you know, I, I, I had a table way in the back. I asked him, do you serve coke you know yeah they do okay so i didn't feel badly but once he started playing i thought oh my goodness that's what i want to do have have you heard gordon mark play i have not oh you ought to check him out on youtube and uh any anyway uh wonderful wonderful and he would he had a fantastic repertory of all kinds of songs he had a martin tenor 
and a Kamaka baritone. So he would alternate between those two. But, you know, he'd play Warsaw Concerto. He played Beethoven's Fifth, as well as other pop, you know, uh, by the time I get to Phoenix and some of these others. It was, it was fantastic. And he was all by himself. He was there. Uh, in fact, uh, later on, I had heard that he was uh, interviewed for the newspaper. And the interviewer, halfway through, he said, how come you're not giving the other guy any credit? <laughs> he said, what other guy? You know, the guy that's supporting you while you're doing your, he says, there is no other guy. So, I mean, it was just, it was fantastic. And uh, it, you ought to, you got to listen to him. I think, I think you'll really enjoy it. So I'll check it out. Yeah. After the performance, uh, and it's just Gordon, M-A-R-K, Mark. Um, after the perf performance, I went up to him and I said, you know, I'm going to be leaving for Seattle in a couple of days. Can I bring a tape recorder and, you know, record your performance? He said, yeah, sure, sure. So then I invited my girlfriend at that time. And we got new batteries for the for the cassette recorder and a cassette tape, 90-minute cassette tape. And we I got a little closer this time at a table and we ordered our round of Cokes and whatnot. And uh, I mean I recorded it to the point where you know the batteries were dying. And so the end of the tape was just kind of not not very good. But my eyes were just glued to his fingers. Like, how is he getting that sound? I was and so at the end of that performance, just before we were going to leave, I thanked him and all that. And I said, I'm going to go to Portland, Oregon tomorrow. It, you know, what can you show me that can help me, you know, develop uh, what you're doing, your skill? And he, and he showed me two fingers. And in fact, um, if you go to the, if you look up Gordon Mark on YouTube and something like Two Minute Lesson. If you find Gordon Mark with something like uh, two, two minutes and maybe 30-something seconds, you ought to listen to that one first. And he goes over his, his two-finger thing. He uses his thumb to, to play down on the fourth and third strings and his index finger to play up on the first and second strings. And so he said you start, uh, in fact, you start on the low and then uh, the next one, I mean... And then you go out and then you do and then you come back to the low so to describe this what rodney's doing is he's playing the third string with his thumb third string the second finger with his index, index. finger then he's playing the fourth string with his thumb yep. and the first string with his index finger again right and then i go back to the fourth string and then the second string so it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. And so in the course of about two or two minutes, he he taught me that and he said, That's it. You just just keep practicing that. And and uh, so that's what I did. I went to uh, you know seminary in in the uh, fall and uh, that year besides my studies, I was just playing the cassette tape over and over again, trying to remember what I remember his his chord hand was doing, and then working on that one, two, three, four, five, six. I, 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 I'm not uh, fluent in that at all, but at least I have a base of of understanding. And it was just, you know, it was really wonderful. So, I believe it was that either that uh, holiday season, uh, or possibly the following summer, I was able to go back to Hawaii. And this time I got a, a Sony, a big reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And I asked him, I called him and said, is it possible for me to come by after school sometime and, and record you? I, you know, I don't know where that cassette tape is. And I don't know where that reel-to-reel -reel tape is. But, you know, those are treasures if I ever find them. I'm not even sure I can play them now. I mean, I don't have a cassette recorder or a reel-to-reel so it, it was it was just a, a wonderful thing. I you know I uh, I'm not sure if Gordon is still alive. Uh, the past summers, prior to this last summer and maybe a summer before, uh, I found out he was teaching at a friend's place, and so I asked him. I gave him a call and asked him if I could just join the class. I was only going to be there for 
Uh, that was before I retired. So I could only go there for maybe three or four weeks, three or four lessons. And he said, yeah, sure. Just, you know, just drop by. He had, he has a very unique way of transcribing what he does. It's just a paper full of tiny diagrams. And uh, the diagrams show obviously the formation, the placement of the fingers. And then by virtue of certain uh, little marks and dots, he shows the picking pattern that he uses from, from diagram to diagram or from chord to chord for a particular song. And it can be you know, relatively simple or very, very complex. And, and just like with some tab, it doesn't necessarily show you the, um, the rhythm, the timing. So you kind of have to know uh, how he plays it in order to read the, the page. From what I remember, he was he was fairly picky in terms of allowing people to come and learn from him, because if you didn't know how to read his transcribed information, you know, then it's that it would stop you right there, and then he would have to go over it again, and he didn't want to. And you know, he's uh, he's uh, like a if he's still alive, he should either be in his late 80s or early 90s. Yeah, not not a whole lot of patience. Okay. <laughs> well, I will definitely. I mean, I, I took a note here to make sure that I look him up, and I'll try to make sure that some of those things are linked in the YouTube or um, in the the show notes. Great. Um, yeah, I wanted to follow minute, up. Yeah, that well, short two minute lesson would be interesting, and okay. then any song that you find um, uh, inspiring or encouraging uh, to share with uh, with others. Uh, I hope he's still alive, but I you know I haven't seen him or made contact with him over the last. A couple three years, yeah, especially with COVID. Oh know. yeah. Um, I had a couple more follow up questions. Just one, which really quick, which is being Hawaiian in your background. How did Hawaiians react to Tiny Tim? You know, being that he was popular mm-hmm. when you were in the college years. Mm-hmm. How how did Hawaiians react to that? I got the impression that he was seen more as a joke. I didn't realize he was a you know really a good musician. Yeah, it was. And and I didn't realize that, I guess, uh, possibly, uh, Tiptoe Through the Tulips might have been sung uh, falsetto initially, you know. And so he wasn't wasn't necessarily trying to make fun of the song or anything like that. Um, So his rendition might might actually be fairly authentic. But because, you know, Hawaiians were used to hearing people sing falsetto, but Hawaiian songs, not necessarily uh, popular songs. And I remember seeing him. Um, I forget what I forget what program it was. I don't know if it was Ed Sullivan or like the Tonight Left Show. Left probably, yeah, yeah. And so I remember seeing, and of course, I guess he played left-handed or something, so that looked a little odd. I I think I had learned tiptoe tiptoe through the tulips, and and not being able to sing falsetto, I just sang it, you know, in my regular um, uh, voice, uh, vocal range and whatnot. And I had I had only heard it sung like that. So when I when I uh, witnessed his presentation, I thought, "Wow, that's that's very unique." And it was kind of uh, kind of off-putting because it it broke my concentration. I was focused on his voice, and you know, and I, so I didn't really enjoy the 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 presentation as maybe I should have. But I think I got the impression that uh, okay, so that's one guy, that's his song, and I really haven't uh, heard him. Uh, perform any other music so that's the only you know that's the only song i know done by tiny tim and of course whenever whenever we would get together in our song circles and i would select tiptoe through the tulips because i like it you know people some people would break out in falsetto and and people would laugh or or they would say oh no not that one you know and i'm thinking it's a, it's a good song you know no don't worry about it but i got the impression that people kind of discounted him as a, a performer, um, but obviously he's very well known. Well, and the, the whole reason I ask is because, like in in context of being twenty twenty one now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we look at some things and ask about cultural appropriateness and oh. some other things. And again, it was a different time, um, for good or for bad. Um, different values in society, different things were accepted, um, but. 
that I, I've always kind of wondered if Hawaiians would have seen their instruments being used sort of for that joke. Not to say that he was mm. a joke performer, right? Or that, but but he had a shtick, right? I mean, he yes. had a he had a comedy routine that he was a comedian. That's what he mm. did. And I, I always wondered if Hawaiians would watch that and be offended that their instrument was used as a punchline and as part of the joke. I just I just was curious. So that's what I wanted to ask you is your you know your background. Uh, there, there may have been some serious you know ukulele musicians that might have been truly offended, but again, that's the only song I associate with Tiny Tim, and that's the only song I've ever heard him uh, perform. So I don't know any of his other work, and I, at that time, uh, and even now, I'm not a spokesman for the instrument, and so that's just one uh example of you know of somebody using the the ukulele i mean so i i i'm not negative against him i don't have any uh agenda that i'm trying to protect um it's just you know if people like it fine if people don't like it fine it's just another example of somebody playing the ukulele yeah yeah okay so that's the first one the other thing i wanted to follow up on is you go to portland and then at some point you get married. Yes. And then what's that next part of the journey? And then when do you start having your first students? Oh, my goodness. The students didn't come till decades later because, you know, I was just playing it for myself. Uh, I would hear songs. I would um, arrange, you know, arrange it for my own use. Um, while I was at a seminary, uh, one of my professors was going to have a luau. And my wife does know how to do the hula. At least, she, at least she took a class at the university. And so they, um, the this professor invited me to and my wife to come and provide some entertainment, uh, singing, and then you know maybe do a hula or something. And so we did that. Um, and that was the only time we did that. For the most part, outside of uh, providing uh, some you know strumming background for groups that wanted to do uh, choruses and whatnot, and maybe during the uh, holiday time for uh, caroling. It was, it was more just a, a, private, a private hobby of mine. I wasn't uh, performing. Uh, I was just helping out, as it were, if somebody, you know, wanted, I, I wasn't carrying my ukulele all over the place. And I also was not really adding to the ukuleles that I had. Although I, I did see in a pawn shop one of uh, Roy Smek's seal ukulele the, where the uh, sound holes were look like seals facing yep, the each other. Yeah, the Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think they wanted like eleven dollars for it or something. And uh, you know, I mean, I mean that's when gas was twenty five cents a gallon. You know, so. Uh, I thought that was a little bit too much, and so I, I declined. And then my wife said, you know, if you really want it, I mean, I've never seen one like that. You know, what's the chance that you're going to find another one? So I said, okay. I went back, and I guess based on the interest that I had showed on it, the price went up to 14 Oh, no. <laughs> Which is okay. I, I, I went ahead and I went ahead and got it. Um, and, and sort of like many of the ukuleles i have acquired over the years i don't know where it is <laughs> it, it must it must be somewhere but you know it wasn't one that i played a lot so i i had a kamaka uh, oh by the way when i was in hawaii with gordon mark prior to my returning to hawaii i did go to I've, it was probably a famous mu a music store in chicago I, I don't remember the name but there was a martin tenor ukulele for $145 with a nice hard case. And and I figured, you know, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to treat myself to something nice. And so I, I got it. Um, and I did find the tenor a little bit uh, large for me. I You know, I, I have short, pudgy fingers and and stretching it out. You know, I have to, I have to say, uh, got to take it with a grain of salt because the rest of the story is this. I ended up buying it. I obviously took it back with me to Hawaii, and uh, somehow Gordon Mark found out that I had this this Martin Tenor, 
And, uh, you know, I was enamored with, with his uh, Martin tenor and Kamaka baritone. And so he said, he, he had a, a student at the time. He said, if you're willing to uh, trade me your Martin tenor, I will get you a Kamaka tenor and a Kamaka baritone in exchange. So I thought, hey, you know, I, I get two. Sure, fine. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, wedded to Martin, although I did like, I did like Martin at the time. So I, I did the trade, and so I got a Kamaka tenor, and a Kamaka baritone. I think a little later I figured out when I finally found out what seconds were. I, I think he he got he got ones that Kamaka was just happy to to let go, you know. But that's okay. That's okay. So. I say that because even though I found the tenor in Chicago a little bit stretchy to play for my fingers, I ended up with a Kamaka tenor and a Kamaka baritone, which I which I played, you know, for for many years after that. Um, so when would that have been? A anyway, so I, I had that and I would play for our family reunions when we got together between uh, terms in uh, in Chicago. I would go to camps and uh, as a uh, counselor, and I'd play there for the for the uh, campers and and whatnot. Uh, and I did that for a couple of summers. I I, I played in Japan um, because we were teaching English, so we saw, taught some English uh, choruses and songs. So then I went to uh, I went to seminary again. It was more of a a private hobby. There were really no Hawaiian groups or any other ukulele groups that I was, I didn't even know that they existed, you know, at the time. And then in 76, I graduated in 74. I squeezed three years into four. And <laughs> then uh, we, we, uh, our daughter was born in 75. And then we moved up to Seattle in 1976, the first year of the Seahawk franchise. I had been pastoring a church, uh, interim pastoring a church in uh, Portland for a couple of years. And then I was called to a church up in Seattle and was there from 76 to about 81. And then I got into uh, um, uh, Christian book selling, not as an owner, but as a an employee and a manager. And did that for um, 14, 17 years or something like that. And then my, my wife, after our, our boys were born, and we have two sons, after the youngest one started attending a preschool, she decided, since she was a teacher, she decided to go back into teaching. So she you know, became an employee of the Seattle School District while I was um, managing bookstores. And uh, eventually they were going to close down an operation for the bookstore. So they didn't need an extra manager. So I started looking at Seattle public schools, but I didn't want to teach. My wife wanted me to, to go into teaching, but I, I saw all the work she had to do uh, in preparation and whatnot. And I saw that the other option was just to become a secretary, you know? So I, I went for the assistant secretary position uh, at, and uh, became a sub you know, going around the district. And eventually, my wife's elementary school was uh, losing their uh, head secretary because she was moving to another position in another part of the city. And so, you know, so they hired me as a, an interim, um, what do you call, uh, secretary. And so I did that. And as they were offering that position to uh, full-time replacements, uh, the middle school uh, from from um, that provided the secretary now had an opening for an assistant secretary position. And very graciously, the two principals got together and said, well, let's just swap. We'll send Mr. Higuchi to your school and, uh, you know, bring Katie over to uh, Gatewood. And so that was very nice of them to do that. And then I went to uh, Denny International Middle School as a sub. Um, you know, um, short-term sub. And eventually the position became uh, a permanent position. And so the head secretary said, Rod, you ought to apply for that. You know, I'll put in a good word for you and all this. So the, the deck was stacked in my favor. So I became the, the assistant secretary at Denny, with Denny, which I did for 12 to 14 years. And then 
recently retired in April of 2020. Um, but again, it was, you know, it was uh, it was still like more of a hobby. Ah, except in 2000. And can can I break into this part of the story now? Yeah, let's it, it, actually. It, what we should do is yeah. this. I think what I'm going to do is let's end temporarily we're not going to end the call or anything sure but let's just for the sake of the video what i'm going to do is i'm going to hit hit stop here and then we can start with part two okay getting into the actual teaching yeah so 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 while i wrap up this part even though we're not wrapping anything up in person right, right now i just i just want to summarize kind of kind of what i what i heard with your journey so starting in hawaii um picking up ukulele in elementary school with one particular teacher, finding yourself going to seminary, playing it through seminary, coming back to Hawaii, being um, being really inspired not only by Herb Oda, Oda-san, but also De as Gordon Mark. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. um, finding your wife, still dating while you came back to finish your degree in Hawaii, then going to Portland Seminary, where you get married, you continue to play, and then you find yourself as a Christian bookseller, and then later as a uh, school, we call them administrative assistants these mm -hmm. days, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, because again, terminology has changed. But all <laughs> this way through, music continues as part of your life. Yes. Um, before we close this particular video down and we're not going to close it down we'll keep going but did your sons play too did anybody Actually, else start no, playing in your family no, nobody really did my my um my wife is a very good singer and she and her sister two sisters uh made up a trio and they would sing at church you know all the time together in in very close harmony uh but even she doesn't sing much now and i've you know, during the time that she's been teaching, uh, she recently retired in August of 2020. But I kept saying, you know, if you want me to teach you how to play the ukulele, you can sing songs for your... She was a first grade kindergarten teacher. Uh, but she never took me up on it. And I, I expressed the same uh, willingness to teach my children. And uh, no, no, they had their own thing going. And so I'm the only ukulele player in the family. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure my kids can sing, although, you know, they don't spontaneously sing. Uh, and, and I know my wife can sing, but again, she doesn't really sing with me. And, and these are some old songs that her, her dad used to sing to the girls and whatnot. But yeah, they have, they have other interests. So unfortunately, you know, all the ukuleles are mine. All the music is mine. <laughs> that's, that's all <laughs> just good. Just let dad do his thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have my my youngest plays and I mean, he's only nine. So and we'll see if that continues to foster, which is a lot of fun. All right. So, Rodney, let's wrap up this video here. And I want to thank you for joining me. And to everybody that's listening or watching this, uh, we will follow up in another week or two with another edition of the podcast with um, talking about Rodney's actual work now in terms of what he does with ukulele. So. Thanks for joining me. And as usual, um, I hope you're having a great day. And we'll back, we'll be back soon with some more Uke stuff for you.